Well, hello. Thank you for um, joining with us today. I know, again, this is um, not something we're used to, but uh, we're taking this one day at a time, just trying to figure out um, how to best continue to, um, to minister to you and uh, still trying to figure out ways that um, we can continue to serve as, as a church. Um, we've got several ideas and several things that, um, that we're looking into being able to, uh, to put into practice while we're unable to, to meet together. But uh, just please continue to be patient with us as we, we figure this thing out. Again, we've, we've never been through something like this before. We don't know... Um, um, exactly what the future holds as far as things concerning this pandemic are anyway. So uh, just continue to be patient with us as we work through it and figure out uh, what is best for um, for our community and for our church, for our families and um, everybody involved in this. Uh, before we get started, um, I want to open with a word of prayer. And uh, my plan is to uh, to make sure that I'm I'm coming to you at least every Wednesday and Sunday, maybe more often than that. But um, I know last night we sat down with the family and, um, and a few neighbors and, and had a uh, time of uh, study and prayer together. And so I've really enjoyed <clears throat> seeing what this um, self-quarantining quarantining is um, causing people to do. Um, it's bringing families back uh, eating together at home. It's bringing uh, families and neighbors together for times of prayer. And so uh, as as bad as um, we don't like going through times like this, um, I can't help but see some positives in it. So I'm thankful for that. But um, right now I want to go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll have a time in our word today and um, hopefully be able to encourage you from, from the word of God um, during this time. So let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and just say thank you for times even like these. Lord, um, I know that you are sovereign. I know that there is nothing that takes place that is outside of your control. Father, not a, not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from your will. And so, Father, we, we know that you are in control right now and we know that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, we know that that includes us. Um, uh, it includes all people that are in your Son, in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you that even in times like these, um, Lord, you are working. Lord, you, you, you know exactly what you're doing. So, Father, right now as we get ready to, um, to get into your Word, I would ask you to, to speak to us, to remind us um, what we need to know about you, what we need to remember from your Word, and so, Father, I just pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our spiritual eyes to be able to, to see and hear and understand and take in what you have for us today in your word. Father, right now, we come again and we pray for our nation's leaders. Father, we pray for um, every person that is leading a group of people in any, in any way, Father. We pray for church leaders, for mayors, governors, Father, whoever they may be, Lord, we pray for them today that you would give them wisdom. Father, in your words, you said that if anyone lacks wisdom, just let him ask. And Father, you give liberally to all who ask. And so, Father, I pray today that as we ask you for wisdom for these nation's leaders and for the leaders all over these United States, I pray that, uh, Father, you would give them the wisdom they need to be able to make the decisions that are best for the people that they lead. 
And Father, I pray not just for the United States, but we pray today also for all the people across the world that is affected by this in any way. We pray for Italy today. And Father, we pray that, um, Father, you would, um, we pray your will would be done. Again, we know you're in control. We know that you know what you're doing. But Father, we pray for healing. We pray, God, that, um, uh, Lord, this epidemic would, would slow down and just go away. And Father, we pray that the result of this would be that people would turn and give you glory. Father, that we would be reminded that um, we have fallen short of your glory and you are calling us back to you. Father, I pray for um, China, for, Lord, all the parts of the world that are dealing with this right now. And Father, I pray the same prayer. Father, I pray that you would turn hearts towards you and I pray that you would lead us to repentance. Father, I pray right now for um, our church. Father, I pray for the people that are a part of this congregation here and I ask you that you would uh, comfort them during this time, that if there would be any fear, Father, that you would... Um, you would calm that and Father, you would use your word to speak to us and that Father, it would, um, it would give us a peace that passes all understanding. Father, we pray that you'd give us boldness and courage right now and that you would show us how to walk wisely during this time. Father, we pray right now for doctors and nurses and medical professionals all over this world. And Father, we pray for their wisdom. We pray for their safety. And Father, we pray for their families. Father, we pray for safety uh, in their, their spouses and their children. And Father, anybody that they're in contact with, Father, we just pray that there would be a hedge of protection placed around them, that they could continue to do their job, their calling, Father. They could continue to walk in it. And Father, they could serve you and they could serve others. And Father, in, in the danger of that, that there would be protection over them and their families. Father, that's our prayer for them. Father, we just thank you again that uh, we can come to you anytime for anything. God, you, you hold everything in motion by the word of your power. Right now, planets and stars and Lord, this world is just floating in air attached to nothing. You hold it in its place. And with all that you have going on right now, we have your attention. And Father, thank you that we can come to you that the God of all things, he bends down to us to hear our cry. Father, I pray that you help us feel the weight of that and you would help us to appreciate that and be so thankful and worship you for that. So Father, thank you for us being able to come to you in every area of our life and every time of need. And Lord, we pour our hearts out to you right now because we know you're the only hope. God, we have no control over anything. And Father, our very next breath comes from you. If you don't provide it, we don't breathe. And so, Father, we know that our lives and everything is in your hands. And, Lord, we're content with that because we know you're good. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. We ask you to hear our prayer. And if it be your will, give us the desires of our heart. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to talk to you from the book of Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to be, uh, begin reading just in verse 10. But then we're going to back up and we're going to see how we get to verse 10 in Isaiah 41. Um, I know this is not our typical Wednesday night study. We have been studying through the, um, the Baptist Catechism. And so um, we've been learning the, the doctrines of the Baptist Church and um, how we teach each other the doctrines of our faith. But we're going to step away from that for the time being. And we're just going to look at a few things in the Word of God to address um, uh, 
things that are more relevant to this current situation. And I believe Isaiah 41 uh, verse 10 is a very relevant verse for what we're dealing with right now. And so I believe it would be very helpful to, um, to all of us and even for those that are walking in a peace that passeth all understanding right now. I believe this verse would be very helpful for you as well. I think you're going to see something from this that is very encouraging. I know I have. I have picked up a lot from this and it is a very, very encouraging uh, passage of Scripture. So I pray that you would just uh, listen to what God has to say and um, that you would be encouraged, calmed, and that you would just be filled with faith because of what He speaks to you from His Word today. So in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, this is what it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that verse. Um, there is so much in that single verse, but one of the things that, um, that I do personally when I'm trying to study scriptures, uh, for those of you that are aware of any study uh, hermeneutics or study, ha um, study habits, I guess you could say, um, you'll know that there's basically three steps involved with uh, study. You have the first step of observation, and you're just looking at the verse and you're just asking the question, what do I see? Um, and I use a, a little method there to, to figure out what I see here, basically the same as another step in our study. Let me get there. The second step in our study is interpretation. So after the observation, and we figure out what we see, and we've made all the observations we can find in that verse, we move over to what is the correct interpretation of it. We want to know what does God mean when He said this? Um, what did He mean to the original audience when He spoke this, uh, this word to them? And so we want to make sure that we have the correct interpretation before we move to the third step. And the third step of studying the Word of God is always the application. You're never done with your study until you have completed the application. How does this word apply to my life? And during that application, there are questions that you can ask, and um, I'll just give you a few of them. For, for instance, um, you may ask the question when you look at this verse, um, is there a command to follow? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a, uh, a prayer to pray? Is there a sin to avoid? And so there are various questions that you can ask yourself as you're looking at this passage and you're trying to figure out how this passage can apply. Now, we don't ever go through with application until we've made sure we've got the correct interpretation. But moving back to the observation, the first step in it, what do I see here? You can also use those questions as a way to figure out what you see here as well. Like for instance, um, is there a command to follow? Well, one of the things that you see in Isaiah 41 verse 10 is that there are two commands in this verse. The first command says this, fear not. Don't fear. Don't walk in fear. Don't let fear uh, control your life. Um, we, we have reason to not be afraid. And we're going to look at that here in a minute, but that's the command. And so if I were taking notes and I were collecting data for my observation, I would say there is a command to not fear. 
And then I would go down and I would say, okay, next there is a command to be not dismayed. And so there's also a command that we shouldn't be um, filled with worry and anxiety, I guess you could say. And so don't fear and don't let, um, don't let this worry and this anxiety control you in your life. And then I want you to notice that there are promises to claim. So you have two commands. And then again, I told you another question was, is there a promise to claim? Well, I see five promises to claim right here. The first promise that I see, he says in verse 10, Fear not, for, here's, the, here's one of the reasons why you should not fear, for I am with you. And so there is a promise here that you and I can claim that as long as we apply to the category of people that this message is for, and we'll figure out who that category of people is here in a moment, but as long as you and I fit in the category of people whom this message is meant to be for from God, then we have a promise to claim. And this promise is that God says, I am with you. Another promise that we see, he says next in verse 10, Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Now again, this is a beautiful promise. He says, don't worry and don't be anxious. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because... I am your God. <laughs> now that's a, that's a beautiful thing to think about, and we'll get into that promise a little bit deeper here in a minute, but, but he tells us that He is our God. And we'll look at the, what that means here in just a few minutes. But the next promise, he says, I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. And so God promises here that again, to the people who this applies to, he says, I will strengthen you. You will get strength that comes from within you and it will give you the strength that you need to not fear, to not worry. So this comes from this God who makes this promise. Uh, the next promise is I will help you. Now, if you think about it, strength comes from within, help comes from outside. And so what we see here is God promising, not only am I going to help you within, but I'm going to help you without. I will help you. I will give you the help that you need. And then the last promise, the fifth promise, he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love the, the way he puts that. He promises that he will hold you up. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a moment as well. But again, here's what you have. In this verse, you have two commands and you have five promises. And so the two commands are don't fear and don't let worry and anxiety rule your life. And then the two commands come with five promises. And these promises are why you are commanded. This is not a request. This is not God saying, I hope that you don't. This is a command where he says, don't fear. And I know there's a lot of you that may be thinking right now, well, how in the world am I supposed to not fear? I don't really have any control over what, what brings fear into my life. But I want you to understand something. God is the only person that can give you a command to do something that you don't have, 
because He has the power to bring it to pass in you. And so it is right for Him to command you to not fear. It is right for Him to command you to not worry, to not let anxiety rule your life, because if we believe that He has the power to accomplish this in us, our only responsibility is to get up and walk in it. And so it's kind of like, um, I've used this example many times, um, the lame man. When, um, when Jesus came to the lame man, he'd been lame all of his life, and he looked at him and he said, um, do you want to walk? <laughs> and the man, of course, well, yes, I want to walk. So Jesus told him, get up and walk. Well, if you and I went to a lame man and told them to get up and walk, it would probably be wrong um, because we don't necessarily have in ourselves, at least, any power to make anyone get up and walk if they're lame. But Jesus can look at a lame man and He can command him to do something that He knows He doesn't have the power to do. And the reason it's not wrong for him to do that is because Jesus knows that he does have the power to bring it past in this one's life. If, all, if, if only this person will believe that the one who commands him to do this is also the one that has the power to bring it to pass, his only responsibility is just to believe and get up. And so here we have this same thing. We have God commanding us to do something that the truth is you don't have the power to do in and of yourself. But if we believe that the one who commands it also has the power to accomplish what he commands, then our only responsibility is to get up and walk in it. And so this is what we see in this scripture. We have two commands that God says you can do this because these five promises are what I'm telling you I'm going to do. I am going to be with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And with those promises, we can hear these two commands and we can believe and we can get up and we can walk. Not in fear, not in worry, because we know that He is our God and we know that He truly is with us and He will supply everything we need to walk in a peace that passeth all understanding, even in times like these. <clears throat> now, the next question we have to ask is this. Who is this God? Can I trust Him? Is He worthy of me believing that He has the power so that I will not fear, so that I will not walk in worry. Am I right to believe in this? Because we don't know really who He is. And so chapter 41 in Isaiah verses 1 through 9 is all about leading up to these commands. Verses 1 through 9 is about God telling His people, this is who I am. And I want you to believe in who I am so that when I promise you that I'm with you, you'll understand what that means. Because if um, I've got a five-year-old son, <clears throat> and um, if we were facing a great danger, and my five-year-old were to look at me and say, don't worry, Daddy, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Now that's cute, that's nice. And that brings a smile to my face. But the truth of the matter is, 
what does my five-year-old really bring to the table here that gives me a comfort that I can walk in peace in the midst of a great danger? Not much. And so I have to understand that the one who promises me these things, the reason I can believe it is because of who he is, because of what he brings to the table. And so let's go back and look at a few things that God teaches us in Isaiah 41, verses 1 through 9. So let's start at verse 1. It says, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let Then let them speak. And let us, draw, let us together draw near for judgment. Now I want you to notice, I'm not going to break everything apart in this. I just want you to notice first and foremost the first few words and the very last word of that, of that sentence. He says in verse 1, Listen to me in silence. So the first thing is that he commands people to listen and don't speak. And then if you'll notice at the end of this thing, he says, Let us, draw, let us together draw near for judgment. One of the things that we learn in that verse is that this God is the God that answers to no one, and yet everyone will answer to Him. And so He bids them at the beginning, He says, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Listen to me and don't say a word. In other words, you don't bring anything to the table, but He does. And so listen to what He has to say because He is the God whom everyone is going to draw together and give an account to. Again, this is the God that answers to no one, and yet everyone will answer to Him. And this is a, a very important thing to understand about who this God is. Uh, the fact that He answers to no one speaks to His, uh, his, his great sovereignty. It speaks to the fact that He is in control of all things and nothing anyone else does, does He have to give an answer for. He doesn't have to answer to anyone for anything that He does. But everyone and all creation must give an answer to Him for all that they have done. And so that's the first thing we learn about, about Him. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 to see what else we learn. He says, "...who stirred up one from the east?" whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. Now think about that. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings under his foot. He makes them, kings here, he makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. He pursues them and passes on safely. And so what we see here is that this is a God that all of the kings of the earth are trampled under his feet. Now again, when the, the original audience that heard this was uh, God's chosen Israel. And so he's speaking to things concerning their history. He's speaking things concerning things that they would understand. Uh, the kings that have come up from the east that he has stirred up, that he is trampling under his feet. And so 
These people have seen what God did to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. These people have seen what God did when they entered into the Promised Land. These people have seen how God trampled over even giants who were kings. Um, and so what, what we see here is that God is telling us that I am the God who rules over all rulers. There, there is not a ruler that has ever been, nor will there ever rise a ruler that God does not rule over. Even Pharaoh, the Bible says God raised him up so that God might show his power great over him. And so we see that every ruler that has ever risen, no matter how powerful they were, God was always in control and God was always ruling over their rule. There is nothing and there is no one outside of His sovereign reign. And that is important for us to understand. Again, remember, this is the God who answers to no one, but everyone will answer to Him. And this is the God who is... There is nothing and there is no one that He does not rule and reign over. And those are important truths to understand. This is the God that promises you I'll be with you. In other words, there is nothing that um, President Trump, say for instance, there is nothing that he will ever be able to do that will be outside of the authority of God. He rules and he reigns over even our president here. There is no ruler, there is no authority that is not under the authority of Almighty God. And He uses them all for His purpose. Again, we can't understand that. We look at them and say, well, they're making bad decisions and they do this and that and leaders, Pharaoh did this and Pharaoh did that. But you keep in mind, God was always working and God was always doing something in their reign. Even when Nebuchadnezzar was brought over to rule over when the Babylonians conquered the Israelites. Uh, even that was a time that God rolled, uh, he, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to rise to be the authority over the Israelites, but he was using him for the purpose that he was accomplishing in his people. And so God is always working in every authority, in every leader, in every, no matter even if it's your local mayor or it's your pastor, no matter who it is, there is no authority whatsoever that is outside of His supreme reign. And so we see that in verses 2 and 3. Now let's see what else we see in verse 4. Who has performed and done this? And he's talking about um, again, coming from where he's trampled kings and he pursues them, but yet he passes on safely and they are left to nothing. But then it says in verse 4, Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. In other words, this is the, the, the God that has created from Adam all the way to where we are now. There is no generation that he has not called into existence. And then he says, here's who has performed it. Here's who done it. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. And so this is where being able to go back and study a little bit of Hebrew, um, the original text that, that we get this translation from. If you'll notice in your Bible in verse 4 um, where he says, I, the Lord, is who I am, You'll notice that Lord is all capital letters, more than likely, in your Bible. 
The reason why it's this way is because when we, tre when we translated the proper name of God, which is Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, when we translated that into the English language, they translated it as LORD, all caps. But this goes back to um, the, the proper name when, that God told Moses, this is my name. You might remember the book of Exodus when Moses said, God, when I go to these people and tell them that you sent me, who do I tell them you are? Because remember, Moses is trying to answer the same question that you and I are answering right now. Who is this God that makes these promises? And so ultimately, here's what God told Moses. He said, Moses, you go and tell the people, I am sent you. And ultimately what God was saying is, I am the self-existing one. He was saying, I exist. I just am. I have no beginning. I have no end. Everything has its beginning from me. And I know the end of a thing to the beginning of a thing, from the beginning of a thing. In other words, there is absolutely nothing that did not get its existence from me. And so he's saying here, I am the uncreated one, the one who depends on nothing and no one, and yet everything and everyone depends upon me. That's who I am. There is nothing and no one like our God, our Lord, Yahweh. And so ultimately, God is telling us right now, I am the uncreated one. I depend upon nothing and everything depends upon me. If you were listening in my prayer, I said that, God, if you don't give us our next breath, we don't take it. We are dependent upon God for everything that we have. We have nothing outside of Him. And yet he depends on nothing. He is self-existing. He is self-dependent. He is the only one that falls into that category. And so he says here, I am the great I am. And so I think once you think about it, here's the I'm gonna go back and show you the three things that we've seen so far. The first thing, he is the God who answers to no one, but everyone answers to him. He is the God who rules over all rulers. There's nothing and no one outside of His control or His supreme reign. He is the great I Am, the uncreated one, the one who depends on nothing, and yet everything depends on Him. And now we move on to verse 5, 5 through 7. Now this is not um, necessarily um, another explanation of who he is. This is more him backing up everything he's just said. And so he wants you to understand that this is what the whole world has seen of me, and yet this is their response. And so let's read verses 5 through 7 to understand this. He said, The coastlands have seen, and they are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Now here's what he's saying. Remember, he's just talked about how everyone answers to him. He's just talked about how he tramples kings, how he, he, he has tore down the Egyptians, he has tore down the, um, uh, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the so on and so on and so on, the Midianites, the Philistines. And so they, they have seen what this God has done and they have seen what this God can do. When the, when the people were fixing to go into the promised land, they were going to attack Jericho. 
You might remember that uh, Rahab, the prostitute, hid the two spies that were coming in. And when the two spies came in, she told the two spies, she said, listen, we've heard about your God. <laughs> we, we've heard what He did to the Egyptians. We know what kind of God you serve. And so this was the motivation behind Rahab believing in this God that they served and her wanting to be in this fold. And so it wasn't that uh, nobody knew about this God. Everybody had heard about what this God does for His people and who He is. And so when we read verse 5, you can understand what this means. He says, the coastlands have seen and they're afraid. He says, the ends of the earth tremble. In other words, they all know who this God is. They know what He can do and what He does do. They have drawn near and they come. But then in verse 6, look at the world's response for the most part. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. And you know, during this pandemic right now, we're seeing that. Man, we're seeing uh, schools rise up and the world rise up and, and we're seeing people go out and, and try to comfort their neighbor and telling their neighbors to be strong. And that's great. That's awesome. But let's keep reading to see what, you, what we see here. He says in verse 7, The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. And ultimately what he's saying here is this, we have seen His greatness. We have seen His sovereignty. We've seen who this God is. And everything that He has shown us and the world is meant to turn us toward God. And yet, instead of it turning us toward God, it either turns some of us toward our neighbor, which again, is a good thing, but it's supposed to turn us toward God first. And then God and the love that He puts in our heart turns us toward our neighbor. And yet, instead, these guys they start comforting each other in their sin. He said the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. He's talking about people who are building gods for themselves. And so these are people that are just concerned about comforting each other even in their sin, not trying to make sure that they turn to God. Our greatest priority right now is that people turn to God. Our greatest priority right now, yes, don't get me wrong, we want to feed the 5,000. We, 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 we want to make sure that, that children that are not in school get fed. We, we want to be the arms, the, the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Yet our top priority is that we help people see that God allows things like this to take place to open our eyes to the fact that this world is cursed and we need to turn back to Him. And so... I want us to be able to see from this scripture today that we don't just need to be concerned about just comforting each other. We need to be concerned about helping people see that we live in a cursed world. And the reason this world is cursed is because we're sinners. We are rebels against God and our only hope is that God would turn our hearts back to Him and that we would surrender to Him. And then out of that love, it leads us to love our neighbor. That is the correct response to this. But the world has seen God trample kings. They tremble. They're afraid. They know who God is. And yet, instead of turning to Him, they just try to comfort their neighbor. And that's one of the things that we see taking place in verses 5 through 7. 
And then in verse 8 and 9, we see the final step of God explaining who He is and why we should follow His command to not fear. Why these promises should ring true to us. So let's look and see what verses 8 and 9 say. He said, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And so ultimately, here's what he does. He makes a contrast between the people that he's called and the rest of the world. The rest of the world is just trying to comfort their neighbors. The rest of the world is just trying to, um, trying to, to, to show um, compassion and love toward others. And again, I'm not putting that down. I'm thankful for that. But I want us as Christians to understand that that is the byproduct of what all this is meant to do. All this is meant to turn our hearts back to God, to put our focus back on Him. And then the byproduct of that is that now, out of that love for God, I love my fellow man and I shine the light of Christ in the world because of what He's done for me. And so here He lets us know that the church, and here He's writing to Israel, but He says here, I chose you. You are my servant. And he says, you are the offspring of Abraham who was and is my friend. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you off. And so here's what we learn from this. This is the God who called you to be His. This is the God who has chosen you to be His child. And so the God who answers to no one and yet everyone answers to Him, the God who rules over all rulers, rulers and there is nothing and no one outside of His supreme reign, the God who is the uncreated one and depends on nothing and no one, this God has chosen you. This God has called you to be His servant. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have heard the call of God to come to Him, to be His, to come out from among them and be ye separate. And so we have been called and chosen by this supreme sovereign God, the uncreated one, the one from whom all things have His existence. And because of that, this God who is your God, He says to you, don't fear. Do not walk in fear. Do not allow worry and anxiety to rule over you. And the way that you do that is by believing the promises that I give you. And the promises that I give you, again, I am with you. I love that promise right there because you're going to see God in every aspect of your life in this verse. Notice that God is with you. That means that if you're with somebody, that means that they're beside you. You're with them. And so what we see right here is that God is saying, I'm beside you. <laughs> there, is, there is nothing to fear when this God is beside you. 
So he says here, I am with you. I am beside you. But he's not just beside you. He says, be not dismayed for I am your God. In other words, I'm beside you, but I'm also over you. I'm over you. I am above all things. And so I'm beside you, but I'm over you too. And then he goes on and he says, I will strengthen you. And as I said before you, strength comes from within. And so here we see God saying, I'm beside you, I'm over you, and I am in you. I am within you. I live and I dwell in you by my Holy Spirit. And so what we understand is that God is, is He's beside us, He's over us, He's in us. And then He says next, I will help you. Now remember, when I need help, help comes from outside. Help is not necessarily something that I do for myself, not in this, in this circumstance anyway. And so we understand that when he says, I will help you, we understand that he's beside us, he's over us, he's in us, <laughs> he, he's, he is all around us. And because he's all around us, he provides the help that we need. And then the last thing, I love it, he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when he upholds you, that means he's what? He's under you. So God is beside you, God is over you, God is within you, God is around you, God is under you. And if you are called and you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have had your eyes opened to your sin, you've had your heart open to your need for a Savior, and you have felt the need to cry out to God to forgive you for your sin, trusting and believing in the name of Jesus Christ, He says to you today, I chose you. You're mine. I'm with you. I'm beside you. I'm above you. I'm in you. I'm around you. I'm under you. So don't fear. Don't fear. Because there is nothing that is outside of my control, and I answer to no one, but everyone answers to me. There is no ruler that will ever make a decision that is outside of my authority. I am the great I am. I am the self-existing one. I depend on nothing, and yet everything depends on me. And because of this, I command you, don't fear. Don't walk in fear. Do not walk in worry and anxiety, but believe that I'm with you. Believe that I'm your God. Believe that I will strengthen you. Believe that I will help you and believe that I'm upholding you with my righteous right hand. I pray today that this word has um, spoken great encouragement to you. Your part is to believe it to believe it. And if you believe it, you're just like the lame man that Jesus told to rise up and walk. You may not have the strength to do these things, but if you'll trust Him, and you believe that He has the power to accomplish it in you, your only part is to just get up and walk in it. Don't fear. Don't live in worry. Don't live in anxiety. Trust in God. Trust that He is everything He says He is and 
that He is who He says He is and that His promises towards you are true. I love you. God bless you. I pray that um, between now and um, um, the next time that I come to you um, th this way again, that we will be able to um, uh, continue to pray together as uh, individuals, as families, and that um, we continue to grow in our faith, even though we're not able to be together the way that we would like to be right now. Um, we'll be coming back to you to let you know in the next um, few days uh, what the future looks like and what our plans are. I have a, a meeting tomorrow night with some other pastors where we're going to sit down and just talk and, um, and see if um, we can each come up with... Um, a well-informed plan for what we need to advise our churches to do during this time. So be patient with us, pray for us, and, um, and we're just going to take this one step at a time till, till we get through it. I love you. God bless you.